0: Now we hear God's word as it's printed in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 36 through 39. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back I will not be pleased with him but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who believe and are saved this is the word of the Lord I would just say thank you all um, words are kind of my thing but words fail me um, it's been great to spend this time with you uh, I think this is a wonderful congregation um, filled with many, many wonderful people, and uh, it's been a delight to, to be here, and so I'll just leave it at that. Um, I envy Nick in a good way. So last week we started um, Pay Attention, Part 1, and so this uh, idea of what we are to pay attention to, continues this week. And let me set up the passage for us. Um, This is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And uh, we spent the bulk of my time here together in the book of Ephesians. Uh, One Sunday when I was in Africa ministering, uh, Gary preached, and he brought a message, and part of that he dealt with Acts chapter 19. Some of the um, origins, the founding of the church there at Ephesus, which is in uh, Asia, modern-day Turkey. And today we'll be in a portion of the following chapter, Acts chapter 20. Um, By the way, I think we're picking up at verse 17. But verse 16 says that Paul's intention was to bypass Ephesus this time because he had spent so much time. He spent more time with these folks than anybody during his ministry and so, I, I think he knew he'd be caught up there and he was, he was hurrying to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, um, at least one commentator speculates it's around the time of Paul's conversion and maybe the 25th anniversary or so of his coming to faith in Christ. Anyway, he wanted to be in Jerusalem and so he wasn't even gonna go to Ephesus this time but he stops in a nearby seaport and he sends word to have the elders of the church at Ephesus make that little trek. I forgot to look up the geography. It wasn't that far, but to make that little trek down to the seaport, it was some miles, so that he could talk with them one last time. And that sets the scene um, for what he has to say here. Acts chapter 20. Give attention again to the public reading of Scripture. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public And from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after my departure fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this is um, Paul's swan song, his his farewell to these Ephesian elders. And there are good reminders. There are good uh, exhortations here in the scripture. And your word testifies to us that the things that were written in earlier times were written also for our instruction that through them we might have hope. And Lord, we know that our hope does not disappoint because your love, oh God, has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we pray that you would come and illumine, enlighten, uh, lead us to Christ, bring his word to our remembrance, help us to understand these things and cause us to walk more closely with you Because of this time that we spend together worshiping you and learning of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we looked at an exhortation to the pastor, which was train yourself in godliness. Today we've got instructions for the elders, the presbyters is the actual word there. Um, Instructions for the elders, care for the church. That's the charge to the elders. We sang a hymn earlier, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And he is the good shepherd, the good and great shepherd. um, But he wants uh, elders to lead in Christ's church. And so along with that instruction to care for the church, we've got these reminders and exhortations. Number one, do not shrink back. Do not shrink back. He mentions it twice in the passage uh, if you look on the back of your sermon outline I underlined uh, both of those instances for you verses 20 and 27 respectively and also what Jen read for us from Hebrews 10 talks about the th- same thing not shrinking back uh, which means to withdraw to, to pull back to back off especially due to compromise um, and, and we see this happening in the church today because you know the the world has kind of gone off the rails and in the marketplace of ideas, Christians are being shout, shouted down. We're being marginalized. We're told that we are idiots and we're bigots and we're unloving and on, on and on it goes. And, and so I fear that in some corners the church has made concessions and has compromised the word of God to be better accepted by the world to be better accepted by the culture uh, and, and here the exhortation of the the great apostle who knows that persecution for the faith is what lies ahead in his future he's exhorting the leaders of the local church there to care for the church and not to shrink back not to compromise and so we've got to make sure that as we teach the scriptures in Christ's church that we don't skirt the tough issues, and we don't skirt the tough texts. And, and I'll warn you, some of what is, is, is spoken, and many of you all have said kind things to me in appreciation for my pulpit ministry here, but in some corners today, it, it would be parts of what I have to say would, would now be shouted down and considered hate speech in, in certain ways. And so how do, how do we engage that? How do we talk to a hostile world, a post-Christian world? Well, compromising the truth never helps anything. And we've got to make sure in our teaching ministries, in the life of the church, uh, whether it's Pastor Nick in the pulpit or you're, teaching, you're leading a, a women's Bible study or a small group or teaching Sunday school or whatever it is, that we don't just cherry pick, that we don't just soapbox and, and kind of use the pulpit as a bully pulpit for our pet ideas and our pet issues. One of the reasons in my brief time with you all that I preach consecutively through the book of Ephesians is because that's, that's good for the people of God, um, that, that the preacher isn't just, you know, picking and choosing. And I know there are plenty of churches out there that do some good work and, and such, and they say, you know, we're going to do four weeks on the family and six weeks on finances and all that. And there may be a place for that. I'm not saying you can never do that. But a steady diet of preaching through the word of God is good for the people of God. It's a safeguard. It's a protection. It's also helpful to the preacher to know what he's preaching on next Sunday. But we've got to make sure that as Paul did in all humility with tears and trials, uh, knowing this persecution and suffering for, for the faith, awaited him uh, in fulfillment of the promise a quarter century earlier when he had first come to know Christ, that the Lord would show him how much he had to suffer for his sake. In the same way, we've got to make sure that we're not afraid to call people to the gospel, that we're not afraid to call people to repentance and faith in Christ. And uh, perhaps I've said it before, but I think it's been some time, but the word repent, uh, when I first heard it, I didn't like it I, I thought of an old guy now I'm one of them um, ha- hanging over the pulpit and pointing at me with his finger and yelling at me to repent but you know the word repent that's used here and commonly through the New Testament means to change your mind it, it's a change of mind and disposition because there's been an interchange in your heart because of God the Holy Spirit coming and making you quickening you regenerating you making you alive to god and so you have a new uh value system and you're alive to the lord we've got to make sure that we're not afraid to call people to this to repentance verse 21 repentance toward god and faith in christ and that's the gospel that's the gospel formula repentance and faith is what reformed people call conversion when were you converted? Now, that kind of language sometimes is, is slightly off-putting. I, I, I get that. But, but we need not apologize for holding out the hope of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through God's one and only Son that once at the right time, he, he gave the perfect sacrifice for sins for all time. This is the grace of God, verse 24. It's the grace of God that that God the Father sent forth his Son who lived and died and rose for for us. And that's our gospel hope. Don't shrink back from it. Declare the whole counsel of God. Verse 27, reformed people like to talk about that phrase, the whole counsel of God. And Paul did this publicly and privately, according to verse 20, even admonishing people. Uh, verse 31 uh, appealing, uh, admonishing means to appeal to their mind quite literally, appealing to their reason and yet he talks about doing so with tears. If you read all of Acts 20 and I commend it to your reading um, this is a scene with Paul and these elders, these, these men who are leading the church and it's a very emotional scene um, they're, they're crying and they're weeping as they say their farewell, and so he's appealing to their minds, and he's urging them to repent, to have a change of mind and attitude and action, but there's also this heavy emotional aspect to it, and and again, when we're walking through the book of Ephesians together, we'd look at head, heart, hand, to know, to be, and to do, and God is concerned with our heart, with our whole person, and that includes our emotional makeup. God made us with emotions. And even the great apostle here is sharing uh, his deep affection and feeling for these people. So he's appealing to their mind, yes, but he's doing so with tears. So there's, there's heavy emotion involved as well. But in declaring the whole counsel of God, it means all aspects of God's plan, his purposes, his program of salvation, his program of redemption. Uh, what does Jesus himself say in the famous Great Commission? In Matthew 28, he says, uh, go and make disciples. He talks about baptizing, but he also says, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Not, not just cherry-picking your favorite parts or, or pet issues, but we must declare the whole counsel of God, uh, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. All right, pop quiz time before we continue on to points three and four. Pop quiz time. This is pay attention part two. Last week was pay attention part one. I wonder if you can remember we said there were two things from 1 Timothy 4 that Paul admonished Timothy, who became the pastor of the church at Ephesus, to pay attention to. I'll give you a moment to think. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I know it was 168 hours ago Um, but he said pay attention to two things pay attention to yourself and to the teaching those were the two admonitions of first Timothy chapter 4 pay attention to yourself and to the teaching here in verse 28 he says pay attention to yourselves plural because he's talking not to Timothy now an individual but he's talking to the group of elders collectively. Pay attention to yourselves and pay attention to the flock. And that's why I've titled this message, Pay Attention. Pay attention to yourselves, plural. Your life, your conduct, your character. To pay attention means watch out, beware, be on guard. You know, your walk with God doesn't just get better by osmosis. Your, your, your marriage doesn't grow and improve just by kind of having a laissez-faire attitude. These things take, take effort. They take work. Now, as we abide in the, the power of God's Holy Spirit, yes, of course, but we cooperate, we work together with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit to make progress in the Christian faith to um, become more godly and more holy in the Lord. Pay attention to yourselves. And second, pay attention to the flock. Pay attention to the flock. Um, by the way, pay attention. Uh, the word in the original language gives us our English name, uh, Gregory. I wonder if you knew that. Uh, that's what it means to be alert. Verse 31 pay attention to the flock. What did Jesus say at the restoration of Peter? Uh, We all like to kind of kick old Peter when he's down for denying Christ threefold, but when Christ restores him, what does he say to him? He asks him, do you love me? Which was, you know, kind of heart-wrenching for Peter, but then what does he say to him? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And a shepherd the shepherds of the church the elders of the church they provide for the flock so we need to be vigilant about this to be alert Um, you know I like watching uh, some war war shows and such and you know when they're out on military patrol they have these little slogans they say to each other you know stay frosty keep your head on a swivel watch my six you know you're six o'clock you're back and we need to be doing that for one another in the church we need to, to be involved in one another's lives, not as busybodies, uh, not as gossips, but in good ways. We need to have good relationships in Christ. You know, fellowship isn't just punching cookies after church and you say, hey, did you see that game yesterday? Uh, tr- true Christian fellowship is sharing God's word with one another, taking turns, pointing each other back to Christ, sometimes encouraging, sometimes challenging one another. And it's sharing our lives with with one another. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to the flock. Some takeaways this morning. Uh, Letter C in your outline, takeaways. Presbyterian elders lead together as a team. Now, I um, coached my son in Babe Ruth baseball when he was a teenager And he was a a heady player, he had a pretty good arm, he was very slow of foot, as he would tell you, even slower than me. My mother, one of her childhood nicknames was Lightning, and it was, uh, you know, anyway. So I, I remember talking with my son one time, I was a Babe Ruth baseball coach, and about the only time I could get my teenage son to talk to me is when we were having a catch or sitting across... Uh, the table at Wendy's or something or other after a game or after a practice and I was talking to something talking to him about something his name is Jacob and I said to him I pulled out the cliche you know son there's no I in team and without missing a beat he said yeah but there's me (laughs) so you got me there son but but it's kind of missing the principle here uh Presbyterian elders, the, the group, is to watch themselves and watch each other in a good way. I'll give you at least three Ps. If one of my Sunday school students can help me remember my fourth P about elders, I'd appreciate it. I've been thinking about it all week, and I can't remember it. But three Ps, plurality, plenary, and perpetual. Plurality, uh, this isn't in the overhead notes or whatever are on your outline but if you're a jotter you could jot that Presbyterian elders lead together as a team and there's a plurality of elders uh, that means that there's more than one that uh, when Pastor Nick gets here it won't be a one-man show but elders lead together as a group a plurality uh, we believe the Holy Spirit works through the plenary session plenary is a word that means fullness and so when the session meets together in classroom one Tuesday night and and going forward together we believe that the Holy Spirit works in that process uh, corporately through the group that doesn't mean that they're they're without error church courts uh, can and have and do error but we believe that God the Holy Spirit leads his church forward through this group team leadership process uh, and the last P that I can remember, I had four of them in Sunday school. As I said, I can only remember three this week. But uh, perpetual, perpetual is the last one that when someone becomes ordained to the office of elder in Christ's church, they're not just taking a turn on a committee. They're not just serving a three-year term. Well, I'll, you know, nobody else will do it. I'll, I'll do it, you know. They're, th- they're being set apart and consecrated to serve God in this way. Uh, And the laying on of hands and the, the congregational vote is the approval, the approbation, we call it, of God's people saying, yes, this person is gifted in this way. This person is a shepherd. This person is a teacher. This person is a leader. And we're setting them aside to serve the church in this way. Now, they may not always be on the session, but our view is that in God's eyes, they're always an elder it's for life next overseers must watch out for wolves oh you know what before I go on talking about teamwork I I, I just want to say one thing I'm really excited about Kish kids club and I don't have minor children and I'm leaving town but but I'm excited about it um and and here's why and this is just my opinion so this isn't the word of God my opinion take it for what it's worth but um, when I came to this church which I think is a wonderful church there seemed to be a real heaviness in the church there seemed to be a lot of grief some people had died some people had left um, not just Elizabeth and Eric but others as well and uh, that's, that's why the first thing that I preached on was finding hope in God's goodness and Bob Prusader. Lord bless him, um, led that oddly named church engagement session. It wasn't about preparing for marriage. It was about giving feedback, uh, you know, doing sort of a a SWOT analysis, if you know what that is, of, of where the church is at and what can the church do to continue to be fruitful and effective in ministry together. And one of the things that came out of it was an interest in there being something more for children and for the families that have younger children in the life of the church and very soon um, folks began to meet together and to brainstorm and to come up with plans and their volunteers were recruited you know that there's over 20 uh, volunteers involved in Kish Kids Club Wednesday night and uh, it's awesome so, uh, again, this is just my opinion. I think it's exactly what this church needs. And it wasn't sitting around twiddling thumbs waiting for Pastor Nick to get to town. It was the lay people of the church doing something. Yes, ma'am. Parody. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Becky's helping me out. Usually it's either Becky or Susan that keep me straight um, since my daughter Jenna hasn't been in town to do that job. But, uh, so the fourth P for elders is Parody. That there's equality uh, between teaching and ruling elders. So between those who are seminary trained, me and Nick, um, and those who are the lay people of the church. There's equality. (laughs) There is parity. Thank you for that fourth P. I'll make a note of it myself. (laughs) Anyway, there is some momentum with Kids Club. Now I'm not saying that this one ministry will just you know, fix everything. But I think it's really exciting that there's all these volunteers that have been recruited that are showing up. It started, it's met the last two Wednesdays and uh, there's a couple dozen kids involved. And for those of, of you that are the oldie goldies and you're, you remember the, the good old days, the big old days of Wednesday nights of even more people than that. Well, it didn't start out, you know, at where, where it peaked, it started out smaller. And I don't know if this will reach numerically that same size or not. America has changed. Society has changed. Even Stillman Valley has changed. So it may not reach that same sort of numbers. But I think this is a vital, vibrant ministry for the church. I'm very, very glad for it. Overseers must watch out for wolves. Next bullet point, next takeaway overseer so we've talked about presbyters you know you, you go to kishwaukee community evangelical presbyterian church you know say that three times fast but but you know if somebody ever asks you presbyterian oh well, y- 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 y'all like uh you're, you're like next thing to catholic aren't you? You, know, you, know, you and we say we're presbyterian we're all you have to do is say we're led by a group of elders that's what it means that's what it means to be presbyterian well, here, overseers, the word in the original language is, depending how you pronounce in English the transliteration of it, episkopos or episcopos. Epi, on or over, skopos, scope, microscope, telescope. So, so literally, overseer, supervisor. That's what it means, and when you pronounce it episkopos, you get the idea of where the uh, Episcopalians get their name but these are the two words that are employed in the new testament to talk about the shepherds the elders of the church it's presbyters and overseers and the overseers of the church um, who are shepherds but they're under shepherds that's the weird thing about being an elder in the church is you're a shepherd of the sheep but you're also one of them so we're kind of like hybrids in, in in a way Shepherds are under shepherds of the church serving the great shepherd. And they must watch out for wolves. Now the wolves, you know what? I stayed over in the church house for half a year and I heard coyotes out in the field three times. Um, But this reference here in our passage, it's figurative. It's talking about protecting from false teachers. And it's interesting to note in the passage, Paul says that they will come in meaning from the outside um, and also he says they will arise from in, in your, among your own midst an, an inappropriate fixation on money or control or prestige or you know misplaced notions that's what false teachers are after and, and I will say this one cautionary word I have seen it happen in more than one church where you have a Charismatic teacher and by charismatic I'm not talking about their theology on the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about by persona. You have somebody who's a very good teacher or a very magnetic personality and they begin teaching in the life of the church and it's um, at first it's good for the church, but then it, it becomes almost a this is probably too strong a language, but I'm leaving town anyway. What are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? Fire me? Um, but uh, it can almost become sort of a cult of personality. Um, and I've seen it where then the elders step in and they've expressed some concern about, about the curriculum or something that's being taught in, the small, uh, in this small group or Sunday school class or whatever it is. And the, this, this charismatic teacher won't submit to the authority of the elders. And in their pride, they say, well, I'm just, you know, okay, fine. It won't be a ministry of the church anymore. I'll just do it out of my home, or we'll rent a space somewhere else. That's not a very teachable attitude. Um, I, I will say this. In my time at Kishwaukee, I have, everybody I've interacted with has been very, very teachable. Even some of the most dear saints who themselves are teachers of God's word. So I'm not speaking about a specific instance here in the life of the church. I'm just Putting that out there is a cautionary tale because overseers must watch out for wolves. And then the last takeaway is simply to remember that Jesus is God and he is king and head of the church. Jesus is God and he is king and head of the church. A good reminder to those of us that serve as elders because sometimes, you know, the scriptures talk about... um, Uh, submitting to your elders and giving honor to your elders and especially to those who labor hard at at, uh, teaching the word and that kind of thing. And you've got to make sure that you do keep your ego in check, that it doesn't become a pride thing. And remember that you're not the head of the church. Jesus is. Uh, And and the scriptures tell us here in Acts chapter 20 that he purchased the church. verse, Verse 28. That means that he fully acquired us. He made us his very own. And it speaks of the church of God, God's church, verse 28 also. He purchased us with his own blood. It was the cost of his life. We've been redeemed by pure and spotless and precious blood. And that's what uh, created the reconciliation between us and God We are estranged, we are alienated, we are hostile towards God and our sins had caused us to be separated from him. But the blood of the cross has made peace and it was bought and purchased for us by Jesus. Then at the end of the passage, verse 32 is kind of a benediction. Um, It it speaks about uh, God's word and its effects, that it builds up. It gives an inheritance, and it sanctifies. Now, sanctifies is one of those good church words that we nod our head because we know, well, that's something good and spiritual, so I should agree. But what does that mean again? Well, explicitly it says uh, here in the passage, it makes you holy. Uh, it, It sets you apart unto God. It frees you up from impurity. It imbues you with the Holy Spirit. And it reforms your soul. And one of the slogans of the Reformed Church is Semper Reformanda. Uh, I know about this much Latin. But Semper Reformanda, which is the Reformed Church is always reforming. We're always trying to come more and more into conformity with the Word of God. So pay attention. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to the flock. Pay attention to the teaching. These are the exhortations from Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We realize that people can know that you exist by looking out at the uh, flowers or mountains or a lake or the ocean or by looking at the... uh, a baby's fingernails or eyelashes or something, we can know that there is a God. But that's not enough. It's not enough for salvation. We need the word of God. And you have sent Jesus, the word come in the flesh. Our Savior who lived and died and rose for us and who lives today and will come again. And you have also seen fit to preserve your word inscripturated that we might understand it, that we might read it and treasure it and prize it and value it and esteem it and hide it in our hearts and remember it and learn it together and then we might live it and obey it and observe it and practice it in our lives. And so I pray a blessing on Kishwaukee Community Church. I pray a blessing on um, the garners in their upcoming move, and Nick and his ministry here going forward. And we thank you for um, your being such a good and gracious God. Lord, you know that there are people here today who are all over the map emotionally. Some who are just delighted because there's been graduations or, or weddings, and others who are sad because some folks that they had hoped who would be able to be there didn't make it and weren't there, and they're grieving. And we do grieve, but not as those who have no hope because of the resurrection of Christ. Amen.